Episode 13. Unlucky for some. But not for you lot. But unlucky for us. Unlucky for us because of the way this happened. Yeah, so you know how people joke about how between Christmas and New Year, oh, I just lose track of the days. I don't know what day of the week it is. (laughs) (laughs) Fancy that. Yeah, we literally did. Yeah, we did. did. We did that. that. We woke up thinking it was Friday today. Yeah. And then realised we hadn't done the podcast because Ooh. it was Saturday. <laughs> Got everything in place, just hadn't put it together. Yeah. So, sincere apologies for the lateness this week. It would have been earlier, but because Sarah is an absolute perfectionist and won't settle for anything less than the best and all of the Titan editing, then here we are. Here we are. So Releasing late, but hey, tell you what, the best things are worth waiting for. And it is a cracker today. A Christmas cracker. It is a Christmas cracker today. We've got an episode on gin and literature with a very special guest writer and researcher. Yes, we have an interview with Sam from Sipsmith. Yes, brilliant. He's absolutely wonderful. He is. He's such an interesting person. Yeah. So. Very excited about that one. Yeah, I had all these questions written down and he almost answered all of them on his first answer (laughs) without me even asking him the questions. Wonderful chap. So, enjoy. Episode 13 of Mother's Ruin Podcast. Wouldn't be our podcast if we weren't recording it last thing on a night before we did anything else and having a drink. Yes. What are we we, having today, Matthew? We are having... Oh, Lone Wolf. Lone Wolf Gin, who were very kind enough to send us a bottle of their delicious elixir. Now, Lone Wolf won last season the Tin Gin World Cup. Cup. It did indeed. And do you know what? I haven't tried this because you did the Tin Gin World Cup with Gav. And you weren't there, because me and Gav got very drunk. You did, that was quite funny to listen to. Yes. So I'm really excited to try this. So can you tell us a bit about it? Yes, well, uh, it's up in Aberdeenshire, and um, ah. the smell of it is absolutely... The, the, they're, a bit, they're a bit of a different bit of a... Like, I mean, as the title would suggest, uh, Lone Wolf. They tend to go alone, these boys. Right, so they're, they're trying... Oh, have a smell of that, though. You can smell oh, the pines, can't dead. you? Like you're having a wander through the forests. Oh, wow, that's strong. Is this a strong... Alcoholic, very alcoholic gin. Yes. Forty-four percent, so it's somewhere in the middle. Yeah, yeah, we've had we've had stronger, but we've had weaker. Uh, I think tasting it neat. I think it's the um, it's almost slightly mentholy, aniseedy. Yeah, yeah. aniseed. Yeah, that, that's that, what I'm getting. That makes makes you feel like you're drinking something stronger. Um, but I'm quite excited as well because they do their own tonic water as well. Yes, and we've got we've got a couple of cans of that to. Uh, oh, hello. To have a go with, so let's uh, let's give it an add. Nice and gentle pour there. <laughs> Couple ice cubes, a lone wolf tonic, and a lone wolf gin. Let's have a gun at this. Oh, do you know what? That is that is a taste sensation. It almost gives me a head freeze. Yeah. Do you know yeah, what I mean? A, like yeah, a... it's a, it. It's like uh, it gives you a mouth washy cold mouth, mm. doesn't it? It's a delight. Tonic's nice as well. Oh, the citrusy in the tonic. To try the tonic on its own. Mm. Oh, I see what you mean. It's got that mm. spirit, that's like lemoniness to the to the tonic. 
Well, that's a, that's a, that's a seal. That's a guarantee from me that you've got a good gin there. That's that's beautiful. I like the bottle as well. The bottle's beautiful. It just looked just ordinary bottle corked, but the uh, the label's held on with a with a band. A big a big rubber band. Like it's just been plucked out of the sea with a message. Yeah. And that message is drink me. <laughs> I have seen this in supermarkets actually. Yes. And um, so if you're in the UK. I think they might do it in Tesco's now, actually. Yes, that's, I so think that's where we're going from, yeah. Do go and try it. If you're elsewhere, I'm sure you can get it online um, or somewhere near you. But uh, it, I highly, yeah, I highly recommend this one. I, I mean, the pininess is really taking yeah. over. I'm, you're a better taster than mm. I am, and you can taste aniseed in that. That's not coming through too strongly. With it's me. not aniseed itself. It's like, uh, it's got a, um, there's more to it. It's uh, it Everything that comes together gives it like an aniseed thing. There's cardamom in there, definitely. I'm getting the cardamom. There's a pepper, yeah. If you, if you if you do me if you do me me patented me patented noise to help your taste, which is uh, nom nom and noms. You're right. The pepper comes through when you do the noise. Yep. I mean, don't do this if you're ever invited to a posh gin taste, and you will look like a bit of an idiot. No, do it. That's what gin's all about. I mean. Who, who gets invited to posh gin taste things? Imagine <laughs> just a secret society yeah. of people going, oh, do you want to come round? No stupid noises when you're tasting it though. <laughs> Speaking of stupid noises, check out my new glass. Crystal. Beautiful. Christmas present. Yeah, so we also got some skull ice cube trays for Christmas as yeah, well. Yeah, oh, so we're drinking skull ice, ice cube skulls as well, so our drinks look like totally rad. From crystal glasses. Lone Wolf, held on with a rubber band. I feel like we're in some sort of high-class stroke underground mm-hmm. speakeasy. Yeah, like a Scrabble tournament, but in a in a boxing ring <laughs> with loads of people cheering and, and putting money on us, going, I bet he uses a J! And I throw money down and everyone like, and then fights break out, going, oh, you can't use that, that's a, that's an acronym. And I went, oh, shut up, you fool. It's funny you say that because that, that's exactly what I was That's the taste, well. isn't it? That's the taste. Underground Scrabble, violent Scrabble tournaments. But instead of sawdust on the floor, it's all pine needles. Yes, yeah. correct. See, so that, that's what Lone Wolf is, really. So it's both a Christmassy gin because it's got that pininess to it, but it's also a summery gin because it will refresh your head. Yes, it will refresh your head, so yeah. Knock yourself out with a bit of lone wolf. <laughs> <laughs> or an illicit boxing glove. Yes. <laughs> um, okay. So shall we move on to today's subject, Matthew? Only if you tell us what it is, or I'm in the dark. Because I totally help write these, you know. Yeah. They're not today, because today we had a guest writer. Who do we have as a special guest writer for this episode? The guest writer for this episode, her name's Kitty Donnelly. A poet, I understand. A poet, a very good poet at that. Yes, oh, there's the sound, Donnelly. Mm-hmm. Did you send a WhatsApp to your sister? Yes, it is my sister, yeah. But today's episode is all about gin and literature, so who better to write yes. a literary episode than a real-life poet? She's very good. Check her out at kittydonnellypoet.com. She's done a lot of research for us, although her head is a bit of a literary encyclopedia, so probably most of it was just from the... Uh, but she finds it hard to find a hat. Yes, she did get the larger brain of the two of us, unfortunately. Yeah. So yeah, in today's episode, we're going to talk about gin and its appearances in literature, but also the way that it influenced writers themselves and the impact that it had on their lives. Mm-hmm. So where best to start then with the main man himself, the god, the godfather of English literature. Terry Pratchett. (laughs) 
No. Neil Gaiman. Bit further back. Hmm. Tolkien. <laughs> it's William Shakespeare. The Bible. So let's go back to... Shakespeare time. Shakespeare days. Imagine the scene, the Curtain Theatre, maybe the Globe Theatre, <sighs> packed with people. I'll do sound effects, I'm good at that. <sighs> yeah, set mm. the scene. Oh, passes a chicken. Passes a chicken, no. Peasants. They, they wouldn't have been they wouldn't have been eating chicken, they'd probably been eating oysters. Oysters? Mm. It's even posher. <laughs> they'd be drinking wine or beer in the rain, probably, pissing their pantaloons. Nothing worse. You'd have the uh the poorer people standing at the front, jeering at the stage, you'd have the more uh the richer people sitting at the back entertaining their guests. You might even have royalty there. On the stage, the actors are flouncing around in their finery. They're in the heat of a Verona night and a tragedy is unfolding. As Juliet's nurse, in a fit of despair, discovering that her her lady is dead, cries out for aquavitae. What is aquavitae, you ask? The patrons are drinking wine and beer. You didn't hear us ask that? When did I say that? I didn't hear you ask that. All right, we're setting the scene again. We're setting the scene again. Okay, sorry, I've made a film myself. (laughs) <laughs> so Aquavita would have been a spirit. Gin itself hadn't made an appearance in England at this stage, but people were still drinking spirits, and here it's used as a medicinal to cure noble ills. Mm-hmm. And this is how it started its life in literature. Not as gin, but as I say, as Aquavite. And it crops up again five years later, when Shakespeare wrote Twelfth Na- Night. The... Character Maria has written a letter to Malvolio with the aim of tricking him into thinking Olivia is in love with him. When she asks Sir Toby if her plan is worked, he replies, like Aquavita with a midwife. Sullying midwives there. Bit much Shakespeare. If you remember last week, we talked about the origins of the name Mother's Ruin. Le Ruin de Maman. (laughs) That is the French translation. For sure, (laughs) Zeus. And one of the reasons for this was that, obviously, mothers were drinking it, nurses were drinking it, and midwives as well. It was popular among women. And here we see it referenced in literature that it was obviously already becoming a notorious... G-I-N. Notorious G-I-N. It was like, it was a rap thing. It was a rap thing, but remember, it wasn't called gin at this point. Ah, notorious aquavita doesn't sound very good, does it? No, it doesn't sound quite right, but... When gin truly did become gin later on, let's let's fast forward to that time. <laughs> let's me time fast forward. Another great sound effect. Thank so I'm you, all Reed. about. I'm going to make today all about my sound effects. <laughs> Decided. It's about time people knew that I'm almost like him off Police Academy. Do your uh, train. That's me. That's it wasn't an actual train. That's that is pretty good. Just go. And car in the night. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give you that one. That's pretty, pretty, pretty good, pretty good. So we're going to fast forward now to the Prohibition era, so the 1920s. When dupe was out. When dupe was out. <laughs> when dupe by dupe was number one yes. in the pop charts. Do, 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 <laughs> we're not allowed booze now. Do, 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 do. You know, imagine, yeah, but imagine that kind of jazz, the trumpets, the, the speakeasies, the Oh, underground. yeah, the underground. Oh, it sounds like so much fun. Yeah. It's better than Weatherspoons, isn't it? <laughs> oh, I mean, it would, have been, yeah. it would have been both more glorious and filthier than Weatherspoons, I would imagine. Hmm. <laughs> Depends which one you go to. Passwords to get in, all that. And some of the most famous writers were 
Ernest Hemingway, um, F. Scott Fitzgerald, of mm -hmm. course. And we're going to talk about F. Scott Fitzgerald here because he was a very famous uh, gin drinker. He spent quite a lot of time over in Europe because obviously prohibition was in full effect in the States at the time. So he would drink in France, in Italy, and all over continental Europe. But more surprisingly, he also drank it without much difficulty in prohibition-restricted 1920s Manhattan. So he would swallow gin rickies until he couldn't walk. He he would also write about it. So in The Great Gatsby, mm -hmm. the protagonist Tom Buchanan is known for his love of gin. And in one scene, he mixes four gins in very quick succession. Mm. I reckon I might be the modern dear Buchanan. I think you are. Yeah, you are. definitely for shoesies. And I'm that's... the daisy. So around this time, people would get their alcohol perhaps from bootleggers, mm -hmm. which was a risky business, but a very lucrative risk business as well. It's supposed to be like getting marijuana and you might get beaten up, but now it's in certain places you can just go and get it? Yeah. Oh, risk taken away. But so imagine with, with marijuana, you can, you can buy weed off the street, for example, mm -hmm. or you can these days go into a chemist and buy CBD oil, for mm -hmm. example. So similarly in Prohibition America, you could go into a chemist and you could buy pure grain alcohol mm -hmm. over the counter for medicinal purposes. Oh. And this was far less risky than buying from a bootlegger. And it, but it, and it also meant you could go home with some pure alcohol and make your own bathtub gin at home. But would you not have to go prescribed? You could get it prescribed, yes, but prescriptions were quite expensive. And I think it was whiskey that you could get on prescription. You could actually <laughs> get whiskey. That's <laughs> but, but But grain alcohol itself, just pure alcohol, I think you could actually purchase right. without the need for a prescription. So people would do this and they'd, they'd make what was called bathtub gin. Mm. Now... There's a reference in The Great Gatsby to the book's namesake, Jay Gatsby, having made money selling grain alcohol over the counter in chemists. But where he got all of his millions is left a little bit unclear and a bit shady. At the time, what's interesting is that F. Scott Fitzgerald had a neighbour called Max Gerlach. Now, this neighbour was a famous bootlegger and... Fitzgerald's wife, Zelda, later told one of Fitzgerald's early biographies that Jay Gatsby was actually based on this chap, Max Gerlach, who made a lot of money bootlegging. So there's the suggestion... It was a that... very discreet one, was he? <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> famous Tom, bootlegger. Tom the chap's Oh, yeah, right. famous drug dealer. Yeah. 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 that like Pablo Escobar wasn't very discreet, That's was he? I'm sure his neighbours knew what he was yeah. up to. <laughs> Just keep it down. Yeah. The police comes. Is he dealing? Him and his fort? Nah. nah. <laughs> Him and that tiger rug yeah. with giraffes in the back garden? Uh, nah. And right. um, so it's quite interesting that perhaps Gatsby was based on this famous bootlegger and that's perhaps how he's supposed to have made his millions. Now, F. Scott Fitzgerald himself was known for making his own bathtub gin. Now, there's a book called Careless People by Sarah Churchwell. And in it, she mentions that much later, in with a load of notes and scribblings of F. Scott Fitzgerald, she found a recipe for his very own bathtub gin. Bathtub gin? Yeah. Uh, what if you get, like, your lush bath bomb bits stuck in your gin? It was probably a bit grainy. There'd probably be a bit of sediment in the bottom. Yeah, I know, but... Like so you fill in your bath full of gin, 
Well, actually, no. And there probably wasn't much sediment in the bottom, having said that, because... Firstly, it wasn't actually made in a bathtub. Now, last week, we talked about the origins of the phrases bathtub gin and moonshine. And we kind of surmised that bathtub gin was fairly obvious. It was made in in your bathtub. Mm -hmm. But that's not actually the case. It was probably made in a container which would be placed in the bathtub. Too big for the sink. Too big for the sink. And in order to fill it with the water that was needed, you might use your bath taps. It's like that in my house with water balloons. Couldn't use the sink, had to use a bath. The challenges of, of producing contraband. Yeah, mm. exactly. I know. I, was, I, I used to supply the whole street with water balloons. <laughs> I was like Lord of War, <laughs> but for moisture. <laughs> Lord of Moisture. Lord of Moisture. Yeah. I'll take that title, <laughs> and anyone can can believe whatever they want about that, how I got that title. <laughs> so, we think that it was around about 1926 that... Fitzgerald made this recipe for bathtub gin, and that's around the same time that The Great Gatsby was written. So, again, uh-huh. another reference that he was interested in the whole kind of bootlegging thing. The plot done thickening. Mm. Would you like the recipe for it? Yes, please. I'll make it now. Okay. So, uh, we, I should actually say that we, that we were going to try and make this recipe, but we cannot, we? for the life of us, find juniper. No, oil. no. So, I've looked online and you can find juniper essential oil, but I don't know if this is food grade yeah. essential oil. So I'm not going to put food uh, face cream in my drink. Exactly, and it talks about like diffusing it in your room as like a scent. So yeah. I don't really want to make yeah. it. Easy. So if anyone can tell us where to get that, then we would very much appreciate. It. Yeah, or if indeed the kind of essential juniper oil that you can buy online is food grade and yes. is good enough for making yeah. gin. Yeah, because I just don't want to, like, drinking stuff that you're supposed to put in a reader diffuser. No, exactly. <laughs> so, here is the recipe. You want 80 drops of juniper berry oil, 40 drops of coriander oil, 3 drops of aniseed oil, you want 40% alcohol and 60% distilled water, you get 23 ounces of this alcohol, fluid ounces of this mm. alcohol water mixture, and in it put five drops of your mixture of oils. Then add one ounce of sweetening to each 23 ounces, and Fitzgerald suggests liquid rock candy syrup is the best sweetener, but we just use that moaning stuff yeah. generally for our sweetening. So that's really interesting, isn't it? That Fitzgerald was dabbling in his own little bit of bootlegging mm-hmm. uh, when Sneaky. he wrote The Great Gatsby. Yeah. So, speaking of Fitzgerald's love of the gin, he was he was a heavy, heavy drinker. He initially held the belief that he should go on the wagon in order to write, but this self-discipline quickly lapsed. And he was frequently seen sipping the famous clear liquid from a glass by his wife, Zelda, who, to whom gin and probably life itself were wearing thin after <laughs> decades of excess. So... Well, she, Zelda, suffered from very severe depression and and general mental health problems and sadly died in a psychiatric hospital in a fire at the end of her life. I think I've mentioned this on an earlier show, but they had quite a sad life, really. Fitzgerald was a slave to his alcoholism, really. Everyone is. It, it does, yeah. yeah. It, it does, does have a habit. Please drink responsibly. 
Another uh, example of this was the fact that when Fitzgerald needed a new secretary as late as in 1939, he interviewed one Mrs Kroll, who promptly walked up to his writing desk, opened it and silently counted the number of empty gin bottles in it, made no comment, closed the desk again. Uh, that landed her the job. He was obviously quite uh, pleased with her lack of comment. Um, <laughs> and she continued working with him until his death. And one of the most striking and naive facts about Fitzgerald and his gin drinking was that he held the solemn belief his whole life that gin couldn't be smelled on his breath. This was despite all the evidence to the contrary. He just simply refused to believe it could be detected by the human nose. Now, I've heard this said about vodka, actually. Mm. People say, oh, you can't, you can't drink vodka if you don't want, want it to be smelled on the breath. Why are you hanging out with people that say that? It's just one of those things when, you, you know, when you're kids and they're like, oh, you know, I'm yeah, going to swig uh, yeah, of alcohol yeah, down the park. Your mum won't know if you... That's the thing, if, if the kid come in stinking of mints as well, it's just as bloody it's curious. It's just as suspicious, <laughs> like, isn't it? Come on now. Yeah. But obviously, it's, it's, it's not true. No. Now, speaking of Fitzgerald's own gin recipe, another famous writer with a gin recipe of his own is Tennessee Williams. Oh. His most famous play is A Streetcar Named Desire. Have you seen the film of that, by the way? No. Absolutely brilliant film. Mm. Really, really good. Now, in the play, the characters get drunk, they fight, they get depressed, they question their own existence. It's quite, a he- it's quite heavy going. Set in Sunland, eh? and this is more or less a day in the life of Tennessee Williams himself so in order to create his own famous Ramos gin fizz cocktail now you need a strong stomach for this you should mix eggs cream sugar lemon and lime juice and hefty amounts of gin a little orange flower and soda water it sounds all right actually like Eggs. Yeah, but you've got a whisk it though, so it'd be like a meringue, a meringue it wouldn't would it? It would be a bit of mer- or, or, or an accidental mouth omelette, yeah? you might say. So you'd like a meringue. <laughs> a meringue. Wouldn't you? You'd love a gin meringue. I would love a gin meringue. So? Just wouldn't love the salmonella that you know. No, but you'd have to... You'd, if you Whisking, it doesn't kill the salmonella, you know. Raw eggs don't just give you salmonella. They do. They don't. Infected eggs give you salmonella. <laughs> Fact. Okay, okay. Take my advice, everybody. Just eat an egg raw if you want. <laughs> Don't. Just be responsible. Uh, do you want another example of a famous gin cocktail mixed by literature itself? Yes. Gimlet. Who mixed that? A dwarf from Lord of the Rings. Oh, what? No, his name is Gimli. Oh. Oh, God. You, you... Do you want to talk about Tripsy and Dropsy again, Matthew? No. Why okay. would I? No, no reason. So the Gimlet made its first appearance in Raymond Chandler's The Long Goodbye. So Raymond Chandler, he was the... Could he be any more literature? Yeah. (laughs) Nice. But he was like the godfather of mid-century detective literature, you know. Mm. The rain was falling down like the tears of a widow waiting for a husband coming back from war. You know, that that kind of thing. Where was he from? (laughs) Where was New York? Oh, New York? Was that New York? I was going to say, God, imagine that little giant being from South Africa. Oh. <laughs> but no New York, apparently. Okay, that was my best effort. It was a good try. Thank you. One of your better ones. <laughs> so his most famous character was Philip Marlowe, the hard-drinking detective in uh, his novels. And he brought the gin cocktail to the attention of the American public. So Chandler writes, a real gimlet... I'm not going to do the accent. You're not doing the accent. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> I do apologise in advance for this. 
a real gimlet is half gin, half roses, lime juice. This is going to be Texan there. Yeah. <laughs> half cactus, half spurs, <laughs> half sheriff's badge. Oh, nothing else. <laughs> okay. Wow. Um, so, yeah, so basically gin and lime. It's quite a simple one, that. Is that just roses, lime juice? Mm. Christ. That's got to be tart now. Well, he he, he's, he refers to it Rose's lime juice here. I don't know if he means the, the cordial, cordial, which would be extremely sweet. Yeah. So Chandler himself did suffer with alcoholism and enforced periods of sobriety on and off throughout his life. And when struggling to complete the script of The Blue Dahlia in 1946, he told producers he would just have to relapse in order to complete it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, my mind's going long. Um... <laughs> I'm going to have to chase the dragon before I get there. Didn't do the accent. Huh? I'm going to have to, to go back on the sky. Neither did you. <laughs> you certainly didn't do the right one. <laughs> so uh, out came the gin and lo and behold, the script was finished. It, it's interesting that, isn't it? Well, that'd be like the film, like, like Dust Till Dawn. The beginning's like uh, just a, a heist movie, then a vampire film. What happened halfway through that film? Right, look, he got back on the drink. <laughs> <laughs> But it is interesting, isn't it, that people talk about things like, you know, having vices and having demons and suffering is conducive to creating great Creativity, art. Creativity, of course, huh? It's like when they talk about, you know, when John Lennon met Yoko Ono and became happy, um, then, you know, his kind of... His music was dross. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Which is one to be debated, but it's it's interesting. I, I kind of... I quite like the idea, and I think... It comes back again to what we've talked about in former episodes. Do you remember when we talked about gin and music and yeah. how it had a very close relationship to the blues and that gin and suffering share this kind yeah. of history? So That's they, why I like uh, It's another reason I like gin. It's just so dark. It's it is, a, yeah. It's, it just seems naughty. Yeah. Gin. Absolutely. Because like, even when it's uh, linked to the aristocracy, it was like it was more linked to the aristocracy having their little weird sex parties after after hours where everyone wasn't looking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Distilling their own illicit moonshine yeah. in the kitchens. Gin equals naughty. Fact. Yeah, that absolutely. is my formula of gin. Okay. Gin, gin facts. Gin facts. <laughs> so let's move forward to the kind of nineteen fifties and nineteen sixties. Let's. And the beat generation of writers, including Jack Kerouac, who wrote On the Road. It Alan... sounds like a tasty chocolate bar, doesn't it? Like Caramac. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jack Caramac. <laughs> <laughs> Allen Ginsberg, who wrote Howl. Sounds like a cake. Is that poem was said to encapsulate a whole generation, you know, the zeitgeist of the, the sort of the 1950s, uh, 60s, and William Burroughs. Now, they were all committed gin fans, and Burroughs was also an alleged committed misogynist. Burroughs doesn't sound like a sweet treat, though. <laughs> so, it doesn't sound like a sweet no, treat, Ginsburg. No. Oh, I'll, I'll have a slice of Ginsburg cake. <laughs> See? I'll love a Burroughs bar. You know, it's just, it's <laughs> no, not it's the same, not the same, is it? Um, now, he shot and killed his wife. Well, good. And do you know, this, have you heard about this? It's, it's become quite a fable. Um, he killed his wife while aiming for a gin glass placed on her head. He was like, it's okay, honey. I've got this. Uh, Stand there. I'm going to shoot That never ends well, <laughs> Unless you're William Tell. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, 
I mean, whether or not it was an accident, who's to say? But but it does kind of question which he valued more highly, his gin or his beloved wife. Yeah, if I hit that, I'm down a glass. <laughs> yeah. So around a similar time, per- Patricia Highsmith, who wrote the Ripley Chronicles, including the talented Mr Ripley, she had more than the odd gin herself. In her diary, she describes going to bed at 4pm with a bottle of gin... And when the gin was finished, she'd move on to seven martinis and then two glasses of wine. Just the two wines, you will note, in contrast to a whole bottle of gin. Yes. She also writes that at these times she only ate cereal. Now, it doesn't surprise me that my sister's moved us on to Jean Rhys here because that's Jean Rhys is one of her favourite authors. Jean Rhys had a, a difficult life. She'd moved to the UK from Dominica and she was kind of faced with cultural displacement, um, she battled mental illness her whole life, the adversity and the horror of living through two world wars, but she's a great commentator on the times, and through her novels and her letters, she talks about multiple uses of gin. Sasha, her heroine in Good Morning Midnight, states, I've had enough of these streets that sweat a cold yellow slime of hostile people, of crying myself to sleep every night. I've had enough of thinking, enough of remembering now. Whiskey, rum, gin, sherry, vermouth, wine. So it goes back to that, you know, drinking to forget, Mm. drinking to get through tough times. Yeah, and finally getting tiresome. Yeah. It hasn't become entertainment anymore, it's something you've got to do. It becomes a curse, yeah. Yes. And Jean herself would write in her letters that she drank all day and spent two days with a hangover, returning to drinking on the third day, regular as clockwork. It's worth noting that there is now a James Joyce gin, apparently. James Joyce, the writer of Ulysses, of, uh, of Dubliners, Finnegan's Wake, one of the great Irish writers of the 20th century. Now... This gin's widely available from many a major retailer. And in the notes, it is accepted that James Joyce, widely known as an absinthe and wormwood man, did enjoy the odd distilled spirit. Now, I believe that his drinking habit actually sent him blind. In a lot of pictures, you'll see him with an eye patch over his eye. And I think that was from uh, from his love of the alcohol. So I'm not sure he's the best poster boy for... Well, if he was absolutely mashed and did he just miss his mouth or... <laughs> Quite possibly. Trying to pour some of that into his eyeball there? Apparently, he was told that he should swear off the booze if he wanted to uh, keep his life and his sight. Yeah. And I think his doctor said to him, all right, you know, you can drink after 6pm or something, just stop drinking during the day. And then, you know, when he got to 6pm... He would look at his watch and wherever he was, He'd just go and get the Literally, start running. running to a bar. Go and walk along the beach and look at his watch, and then he'd, he'd turn around and he'd be off, just running into the distance. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was it. Hello. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there he goes. Yeah. But I wanted to um, bring us now to Anne Sexton, and there's a really beautiful quote here that Kitty has included, and. I kind of wanted to bring this in towards the end because it's it adds a kind of warmer note to this literary yeah, history. Yeah, because I'll be honest, like, gin, gin literature, as much as they've had a close one, it's not been pretty, has it, so far? It's not been pretty. It's destroyed everybody. It's destroyed It's destroyed lives. It's created great art, but it's destroyed lives. Yeah, I mean, Fitzgerald, he, he seemed all right. He seemed to have made a few coins of it. Well, 
Yeah, he did, but I mean, he died of a heart attack in the end, and I think... Well, he sorted the blokes and invented bloody Ben and Jerry's, you know what I mean? So... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Die by the live by the sword. Eh? <laughs> yeah, true, true. I mean he I think he was really young. I think he was only about forty when he died. Oh and God, that'd be me in ten years. <laughs> ten years. <laughs> but, Months. <laughs> and before he died he'd been sober for some months but prior to that I think he'd sworn off the gin but he'd he'd gone on to the beers and I think he'd ended up drinking 39 beers a day or mm. something like that um not crafty he didn't turn out one of those wankers oh no he didn't oh no it would have probably just been whatever was available I mean prohibition would have been ah, so imagine, by this time I imagine but... uh, select IPAs weren't available. yeah no probably not but uh he had a quote that said um first you take a drink then the drink takes a drink, then the drink takes you. So it did help him create great works of literature, but it did also essentially probably take his life in the end. Yeah. I mean, you don't die at 40 of a heart attack from living a... Living a good and hearty life, do you? Yeah, but this quote from Anne Sexton, she was no stranger to the gin herself. I mean, she, she taught poetry at Boston University. She was known to swig from a bottle at regular intervals throughout the day. She never missed cocktail hour, and she would mix a gin cocktail ready for her husband, who was a salesman, when he came home. But she writes, Some nights we took our gin warm and neat from old jelly glasses while the sun blew out of sight nice isn't it yeah. just the idea of her sitting out her husband's just come home they pour themselves a gin just watching the yeah sometimes you can have a good time with gin yeah uh, absolutely gin's so, a beautiful thing so which it is it is a beautiful thing so 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 let's let's end it on that note yes let's end it on the note that gin is the best yeah because it is yeah chin 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 Gin news. Headlines today. You'll never drink alone. Liverpool Gin Distillery lets you create your own. Gin lamps are just the tonic for charity. Woman raises thousands selling bespoke gin bottle lamps. And top of the Alcapops. Taste all of the winners from the Scottish Gin Awards. What's all this about? Well, the Liverpool Gin Distillery is allowing people to go in and make their own bespoke gins. Yeah, their own gins, made them from scratch as well. How good's that? Hillwood Wines and Spirits, 40th anniversary this year, and they opened a new bar on Castle Street in Liverpool. Well, have to check that out as well. Oh, absolutely, because they've got a very specific gin bar inside and a 600-litre work in copper still. Oh, I'd love to see that in action. Yes, I do like a good still, mm. a copper one especially. Yes. Yes. They're offering you make your own gin experience. Now, what you do is you go down, you've got a couple of mates, you go in, you get your own little still, and um, got all your, all your ingredients... And you've got someone working with you. Oh, fantastic. So someone watching over you, so that's good. Like, you make, make your own little bottle. Oh, my word. Yep, apparently like, you start off with pre-drinks and all that. Good chit-chat. Then you get down to business. They insist on juniper, coriander and angelica. The, the staples, The obviously. staples, that's what you've got to have. And then you can go wild. But well, you can't go wild. They'll tell you like if you if you if you're just gonna try and like mince. jam a yeah, <laughs> like don't put mince in. That's pretty. I just wanted to try to jam a dummy dodger. Into the, yeah, a dummy dodger. Yep, I invented a biscuit specifically for that bit. You can't just be jamming like bourbon creams no, and custard no. creams in. Oh, custard creams. Um, trademark mother's room gin. Didn't we talk about that last week? Yeah, biscuits. Sorry. Yeah. Shh. We're, we keep yeah, giving sorry. people good ideas.
good. So you've got a distiller on hand that if you're going to try and shovel too much in the gut, perhaps not the whole mint bush, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So you can go crazy. And uh, you get to watch the gin go from start to finish. Oh, that would be amazing. How how do you get how do you get tickets for this? I, I think you just go into the bar and you organise it yourself. It's oh, a, yeah, or it'll be available online as well, right, obviously. Okay. It's two hours, start to finish. And what they'll do is, if you like your gin, they will give you the exact ingredients you had... And you can uh, place your orders for that exact gin again, and That's they will make amazing. it up for you. Well, this sounds amazing. Yes, I'm, I'm in. Yeah, I'm in too. Next yeah. time I'm in Liverpool, better believe I'm going to go and make me own Liverpool gin because I've tried Liverpool gin; it's very tasty. Mm. Now then, gin lamps are just the tonic for charity. A lady, Lynn Anderson uh, from Aberdeenshire, has raised more than two and a half thousand pound for charity, making lamps from bespoke gin bottles. Oh, bless her! They look absolutely great as well. I had one with bulldog gin, and that was lovely. And she uses tartan because it's up in Scotland. A local kilt maker uh, helps her with tartan, which is nice. What's the charity? It's Charlie House. The money will go toward building a new support centre for children and babies with disabilities and life-limiting conditions. So, oh, that's a fantastic cause. Fantastic cause, beautiful. She's raised £5,000 herself, and on the half of that has come from the sale of these lamps. It's very Scottish things again. Rather than just ask for donations, she wanted yeah. people to have something. Yeah. Like rather than just ask, it's like a, like a very very pride thing. Yeah. So she's uh, given the lamps uh, for uh, very reasonable as well, thirty nine pound. Yeah. Per lamp. Yeah. But if you get the um, the slightly more expensive one, forty five thousand. 45,000, yeah, 45,000 pounds for this lamp. Just donate 45,000 pounds. It's a great cause if you've got it. Put 45 pounds for the more expensive ones, but they're made with Harris Tweed. Oh, wow. I, I think we should get one of these. I think we should. Uh, the If you want to get one, if you go to uh, Lynn's Lamps for Charlie House on Facebook, remember that. If you go on there and send her a message and order one, and perhaps she's all, all of the things has been donated, all the bottles have been donated. So if you've got any spares, you can maybe ask her if she needs more bottles. And uh, I mean, God, God, we've, we've got an enormous yeah. bottle graveyard. We've here. got a bottle graveyard. We could send her them. Let's no do problem. it. Yep. Let's do it. So if you want to do that, go and get yourself a lovely lamp uh, for a wonderful cause. Help, I help raise money towards. Uh, this uh, kiddies support centre. That's a fantastic story. Lovely one. Very nice one, isn't it? And top of the Alka Pops. Hmm, what's this one all about? Gin. <laughs> well, you can go and taste all of the winners from the Scottish Gin Awards mm-hmm. in Glasgow. And that's on the 9th of February. Okay. So you get to meet all of the uh, all of the distillers. Oh, fantastic! I am definitely going to get myself along. You get to taste all ten of the wonderful mm. gins that are there. Mm. Uh, it starts at twelve, finishes at four. Mm. The tickets are a paltry fifteen pounds. What? Fifteen pounds there for ten gins? That's incredible. Absolutely. So uh, do we know who the winner was? The winner for best gin was Eden Mill. That's a great gin. It is a very We've nice got gin. Got a bottle of Eden Mill in the in the uh, drinks cabinet. In the drinks cabinet, yes. And uh, you've got one hidden in the cistern as well. Uh, <laughs> and I've got one under my pillow, so that's good. And um, I think Isle of Harris Gin won an award for Best Distillery. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that is wonderful. Me, aunt, me auntie lives up in uh, the Outer Hebrides, yeah. and she fetched one down. The bottle is beautiful. Mm-hmm. And the taste of this gin, it's like, it's like breathing in sea air, because I think they use seaweed to um, flavour it as well. Absolutely beautiful. Interesting. So you go in, you get to meet everybody, you have a few drinks, and uh, yeah, it sounds absolutely perfect. And you're done by four. Yeah. <laughs> so what more do you want? And when you say done, you mean I mean, you, you're probably done by half three. <laughs> 
Please drink responsibly, <laughs> even it. if it's award-winning gin. Yeah. Now, that's a lovely round-up today. That's a lovely round-up. So, that's the end of uh, Gin News. Let's chat to someone that's not you or me. <laughs> and if you're into gin, which I'm sure you are listening to this podcast. Um, hey, some people don't like gin listening to this podcast. That's very true. We have had people say that. Yeah. I don't like gin, but I think you're great. And, and you're very handsome, Matthew. That's what is that what they say? Definitely right. what okay. they said. All right. But if you're interested in, the, in gin's comeback, listen to this interview because... We'll hear stories of Sam delivering gin on the back of a scooter. Yeah, he was one of the he's one of the he's one of the people you can thank for the gin re- the recent gin revolution. Absolutely, and one thing that he says, which really resonated with me, is that it's not just about craft; it's about graft, and that that's what makes a great gin company. Someone who will put a load of passion and craft and exactly. perfectionism into what they're doing, but will also eat, sleep, breathe, and live it. Um, and that's what. That's what Sam really, really does. So enjoy. This is a great one. Yeah. So, ladies and gentlemen, it's interview time here at Mother's Ruin Podcast, and we have a very, very special guest indeed. We've got Sam Galsworthy from Sip Smith, one of the original comeback kings for gin. So, Sam, uh, thank you very much. Welcome. Absolute pleasure. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having us. Uh, my pleasure. Uh, I you're one of the one of the main reasons gin's where it is at the minute. Because uh, in two thousand and nine, you released uh, Sip Smith into the market, and it's, it, it, I mean, haven't looked back. I imagine. Yeah, it's been an extraordinary journey. I, I um, we're in our ninth year and tenth uh, year, and um, just can't believe where where we've got to. And I can remember when we when we tried to get it going, tried to get it off the ground, and we you know came back from the US where I was living for sort of six years. So I used to work for Fuller's Brewery right next to us here in Chiswick, West London, and you know was looking back at the landscape of London and just saw one copper pot still in London that was beefy to set up in 1820 and I we just thought you know consumers deserved a great deal more choice and and uh, a little bit more transparency authenticity that sort of stuff and storytelling and um, we, 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 we came back to the UK the law basically said that you weren't allowed to own a pot still that was smaller than 18 hectolitres and so long story short we thought this was a crazy law in the 21st century is probably quite relevant in the days of mother's ruin no of course yeah you know when one in five houses apparently had its own sort of distilling equipment that that sort of law was relevant because it stopped people moving their pot still or hiding it from a visiting government officer but let's be honest really irrelevant in the sort of 21st century (laughs) i don't know mate i've I've, can't count the amount of times i've hidden my still from uh, the authorities (laughs) when they've put around (laughs) perhaps it needs to come back but we Yeah. Not not just us, but you know the Scotch Whiskey Association too. And anyway, so in 2008, Finance Act, the law changed, and Sipsmith became the first to kind of capitalise on that uh, uh, law revolution. And um, and as a result, we became the first distillery in London for 200 years. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and in doing so, you know, I think this sort of 
yeah, this, this glorious movement of jinn that is taking hold in every corner of this great nation and indeed beyond um, has got people thinking about jinn uh, and, and talking about jinn differently and, and really understanding a lot more about what this extraordinary spirit um, can offer, can do. And, and it sort of goes through the generations. I don't know if you're or your listeners see that, but you know, you know, uh, whiskey, rum, vodka, you know, a lot of these categories, a lot of these spirits have a particular kind of demographic. I think. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Is, I mean, like, uh, but... It goes from sort of 20 all the way up to sort of 80. And, yeah. Uh, it's beautiful. Mm. It's got the weirdest backstory in the world as well. It was the ruin of the world. It was hip hop's favorite drink. It was a nana's drink. It was a spinster's drink, and now it's a, it was a hipster's drink, and now it's basically for everybody. Yeah, and I and I think a lot of people are talking about you know well, how long is this trend going to last? Surely it's a fad. It hasn't got much longer. And I think whatever whatever ends up happening to the gin industry, as and I'm sure the trajectory of growth will flatten. Well, it's got, uh, yeah. Yeah. Is, it's not going to go anywhere from where it's at. It is rooted. It is loved. It is it is adored in all in all walks of life, um, colours and creed. And that is the glory of this epic spirit that we you know we're talking about. I mean, there's a podcast uniquely about gin. Exactly, exactly. Like, that's the thing. As you were saying, you you more or less had to change the law to make your uh, gin possible. And the HMRC, we we read that they they actually investigated you because they thought you might be moonshining for a while. Uh, so, yes, I think, you know, right at the beginning, there was a lot of suspicion. And I think rightly so. I think what they wanted to do was make sure that, it, you know, whatever was going to happen in the gym category, it was policed right from the beginning. Yeah. And they understand the process of policing it because... You know, I mean, I think, you know, the process of producing gin, uh, you know, and, and any alcohol, actually, is a dangerous one, and it must be respected. So we had no problem, whatever suspicions they had of us, you know, we welcomed them in, they let them see us, they spent days with us auditing the process and all that sort of stuff, and, mm-hmm. and have clearly learned their, cut their teeth on Sipsmith to allow, to, to enable it to be easier for lots of other people. And actually, we have embraced the fact that there are more people in the market now loving producing uh, gin. It's absolutely right um and uh you know we hope we've helped a handful along the way it's just such an exciting category oh when i tell people when sipsmiths was founded they are flabbergasted the genuinely <laughs> that like the amount of people that think you you're you're from like ye times <laughs> the, 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 i think everyone thought that sipsmiths was one of the most ancient brands you can get which funny enough at nine years it is one of the older ones like of the new generation well, that's true sort of describe it was it you know we always wanted it to look timeless yeah. we always wanted it to look as if it had been around for a while and i think the way we would describe it as being timeless and timely uh and um and the, you know clearly there was a market for it clearly people there was a you know a, a, an unrecognized passion for it you know embracing gin and we sort of you know opened the curtains on on that and then you know we created something that looked you know timeless and it, we wanted to it to look like it had been around for a while. And I think when you look at the bottle, I'm holding it here with great pride and firm grip in my left hand as I as I look at it. And actually every part of it, you know, has a little story. And I think all the small components of a, of a bottle and its packaging should be able to tell a story. We Absolutely. have the cork, cork top bottle reflecting the old school way that, that it would have been uh, um, f- uh, closed. We have the wax top, which would have been the original form of tamper-proofing because it would have been a particular colour of, of wax, so tamper-proofing, that was it. you know. And then um, uh-huh. we have on 
our labels off as the green. We think this is sort of a British gin green. And it's a lovely, lovely, you know, we, we, we've got obviously the swan's neck on there. That swan is there to celebrate the swan's neck of the column of, of, the, of the pot still where yeah. the vapour turns and heads towards the condenser. The swan is also the bird of London. It's also sort of royal and protected, but it has a story in of itself. And we've characterised that in our, in our illustration here. And we, we have that little distiller man holding the British flag. And he's, in fact, um, an exact replica of, a, of an alchemic wood press image that we illustrated onto our bottle. And he's there to remind us to make gin the way gin used to be made and the way gin, you know, we believe should be made, which is 100% on copper, one shot. And, um, and, and it really should be, uh, um, y- you know, if he came back from the dead, he'd be very proud of the way we're making it. And yeah. he is sat on a, on a square frame of copper. And that is to remind us of the benefits of copper distillation. And when you use copper, it extracts sulfurs, fatty acids, and it rounds the spirit. Uh, and we think that's really important with a one-shot gin. 100% of your gin, of course, has gone through copper. So, you know, and then the juniper berries on the front. And then I think, you, you know, you turn the bottle around and you've got Sipsmith Distillery, London, London, the home of gin. Um, the spiritual home of gin and um, you know we wanted people to know that this was a London dry gin that was finally made in, in yeah. London again not that it, there's you know, it makes it better quality. It's just that the story is 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 richer. I've had I've had some wonderful London dry gins outside of London. You know, there's, there's batch numbers, and then even underneath, you know, in the bottle, it, we've got our wonderful Latin expression here, which is Cygnus into Anates, which is sort of characterful Latin expression about a swan among ducks. Uh, I suppose the last thing, if I've got time, to say, absolutely, you've got all the time, mate, all the time in the world. The story, the story of where the name Sipsmith actually came from, which I think this is such a rich part of it, is that my best friend and business partner Fairfax, his father is a quite Fairfax. Well- that's a wonderful oh, name. Isn't it? Oh. Amazing. Uh, his father is quite a well-known silversmith. And he said to us, guys, look, you know, you're, you're struggling for names. This was his <laughs> You're struggling for names. Let's not look, you know, let's look more closely at what it is you're doing. You do the same thing that I do. I am a smith. And if you have a smith in your name, it meant that at some point in your ancestry, somebody was using their hands to make things in small batches. I think it's really, really important. But he says, you're a smith too. You just need to decide what world what? of smithery yeah. <laughs> you belong to. And I think for us, this word sip conjured up all the questions about you know how things were made and yeah. where things were made and by whom they were made. I think the who bit is really important uh, because I think we're such a people business. But that, that's how sip smith came together. Do you know what? Uh, I, I think uh, a lot of people think that. So you made up the word sip smith more or less. We made it. That's incredible yeah, because it does sound such like it does sound like someone that would uh, it, it it sounds exactly what it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It sounds like someone that goes into the still takes takes their first while the whole uh, while the whole distillery is waiting with bated breath to see <laughs> and then he just takes a sip and just nods and then what like the mal, man from Del Monte. <laughs> well, that's right. I do, I do think that you know one you know one something that's happening in the world at the moment is is automation. You yeah, know, we're all trying to cut corners to make things happen. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we've always embraced, and I think Smiths in general, it doesn't matter if you're a blacksmith, a shoesmith, whatever, you know, you're not going to cut a corner. This is not about automation. There is a deliberate sense of inefficiency that exists at, at Sipsmith. You know, we have three operating pot stills, yet we have six distillers. Yeah. I mean, that ratio is completely the wrong way around. Yeah. And because we believe that people are at the absolute 
Oh yeah, I've, I've, I've seen your website and you've listed everyone with the favourite their likes and dislikes and everything like that. And yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's a lot of fantastic names. And I, I, I just, I know we have crazy names in this, yeah. in this business. Like, from all walks of life. And I, I just think, you know, gin really fundamentally should be, but our, our is about the celebration of people and about the wonder of man's ability to craft something of great exception and without, uh, 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 without, without efficiency as part of the equation. I've noticed the gin community is the most close-knit, lovely community <laughs> I have ever been involved with. It, it, it's a tragically yes, uh, yeah, tragically yes. But everyone's been everyone's been an absolute delight. So, um, well, what, what, what's next? What's your what's your next um, what's your next project with Jane? Have you got anywhere else you're taking it? Any any new secrets? Well, we, we you know for us it's really about going a little bit deeper in where in where we are. So you know we, we in other words we we try to get to broader market now internationally and, and without letting go of our our roots in any way, shape or form here in London and the UK. Yeah. I think we've got an amazing team around the UK and uh, and, and accounts and, uh, in the off and the on-trade bars and restaurants have been so loyal, so supporting, so loving. Um, so we, we always want to stay there. But, you know, we've now got a bit of an ambition to take the GN global and we, we're sort of marching in, you know, uh, uh, across the world doing doing some good stuff, actually. But, you know, we, we, we've got a really fun... Um, We've got a really fun uh, subscription service called the Sipping Society, where you know you can get one-off um, uh, releases of our gins. I mean, we, you know, it's not enough for our distillers just to make you know our London Dry Gin or our London Carp. Actually, they they wanted to express their creativity, and I think they believe they have a sort of restless experimentation. Yeah. Uh, so, so they're always quirking little you know wacky little gins. They're only available on subscription service. Yeah. So, so we've always got quarterly new releases uh, coming out but I think um, we've been a little bit challenged by capacity we've not been able to make enough and I think it's really frustrated some people so actually what we're trying to do is make sure we have enough we don't cut corners when we make it yeah um, and uh, but you know so, so there's nothing groundbreaking I'm afraid about about to come out um, but it, it, it's it's more of the great same and, yeah and excellent doing more better. if it ain't broke <laughs> You were saying about uh, going globally. I think one of your first customers, Giuliano Morandin, was that correct at the Dorchester? At the Dorchester, yep. yeah. Exactly. Your first client, not a bad start. No, I mean that was a great one. Uh, <laughs> I remember that sales call. I was the most nervous I've ever been in my life, um, <laughs> and uh, I really didn't hold out much expectation. And they took it. I loved it. The great Italian, and he then connected us to our Italian distributor in the, in, the, in, in Italy. Uh, so you know, it's amazing how the world works. And um, and actually, that was in the day when we were trying to get distributors, we were trying to get wholesalers to deliver our gin, and no one would, not one <laughs> London distributor would do it. And so in the end, I had to stick 
uh, cases of gin on my scooter. I, <laughs> I mean, you picked the wrong vehicle there. I, yeah, I really did. I mean, that was how we were cutting corners at the time, you know, on cost, you know, but I managed to stick one between my feet, two on the back pillion passenger, and one in the uh, in the box. So, you know, I, I, had, I had four cases, <laughs> four or five cases I was able to deliver at a time. I mean, it was so dangerous. It's, but it sounds was, like a Mr. Bean like, sketch. Just, uh, <laughs> you know, they, they remember the... The graft you have to go to to, yeah. to deliver it, you know, the effort you have to go. And I think that's interesting, you know, we talk about the, you know, the craft movement and what, what does craft mean? And, and I think that is very representative of the way, the methodology in which you, you make your gin. But there's another element when it comes to small business, entrepreneurial and, and, and craft, and that is graft, you know, with a G, not a C. And a graft is, yeah. you know, the effort you have to go to, the yards you have to walk, the extra inch. Um, in order to, you know, think differently of your competitors. And, and those are the elements that often people love to hear about. And, uh, you know, so, so without distributors, I just did it on my scooter. I did, and every single one of those accounts that I used to deliver to all remember it. And, uh, and <laughs> that graft element is something that, you know, I think um, a lot of your gin, craft gin listeners will probably very much resonate with, or, or any startup business that is just like, it's, it's graft, not just craft. Craft is about quality. It's, a, it's about a philosophy. Graft is about this sort of grit and resilience and tenacity and uh, uh, um, not taking no for an answer. Of which, you know, yeah, I, absolutely. Absolutely, that's incredible. Okay, well, uh, thank you very much, Sam. I really appreciate the uh, time and effort you put in there. That was one of my favourite interviews so far, so thank you very much. Pleasure. Take care. Well, better late than never. Better late than As never. As they say. <laughs> better brilliant than rubbish. Yeah. Very true. And that was brilliant. Yeah, I enjoyed it. And um, huge thank you to our guest writer and researcher this week, Kitty Donnelly. If you're into contemporary poetry, check her out. She's absolutely brilliant. KittyDonnellyPoet.com. Enjoy. And um, also huge thanks to Sam Goldsworthy from Sipsmiths. Really enjoyed listening to that. Fascinating interview. man. Yeah. Thank you for that, Sam. And yeah, thank you as well for listening once again and uh well happy new year so happy new the year. next time you hear us it'll be into the new year so i resolve to discover a new favorite gin this year oh poetic license and monkey you better you better yeah, watch, watch out your bucks. we're in the market for a new fave <laughs> yeah although this year we've tried cotswolds we've tried lone wolf mm-hmm. we've been blown away way by those two yeah so it's all to play for in the All new to play year. for in the Matthew's favourite gin. So we'll see you next year. Thanks again for listening. We'll be on time next time. All the best. Mother's Room podcast was written and performed by Matthew Reed and Sarah Dunley. Theme tune written and performed by Holly Jazz Cotsier. Mm-hmm.